Good to go. Waiting for the thumbs up in the back. All right, well, uh, thank you for joining us online. Um, and uh, if you're, it seems we're having some problem with Facebook. So if I say you're on Facebook, you're not gonna see it anyway. So, uh, but thank you if you're tuning in on our website or on YouTube. Uh, if you take your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians chapter one. Colossians one, and we're continuing uh, to look at the prayer that Paul gives for the saints uh, in Colossae. And so let's we'll go ahead and uh, read verses 3, and then we'll read through verses 14, and then we're most, mostly going to be spending our time um, today looking at the end of verse 9. Uh, so Colossians chapter 1, verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed it is in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard... We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So we've been spending a lot of time working pretty much word by word through this passage uh, and again, we're seeking to be encouraged by what the Apostle Paul is praying for believers that he had never met. And so in many ways, we could apply this prayer to ourselves, that this is the type of thing we should be looking at. And we finished um, two weeks ago uh, looking to, at part of chapter 9. We saw, or I'm sorry, verse 9, where Paul is saying that from the day he heard of their faith, he hasn't ceased to pray for them. And in particular, he's praying that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will. And, and we talked about that this prayer is Paul praying for the foundational work of the gospel to take root in their lives so that they can then know and discern the will of God, that they can be grounded in this knowledge of the gospel that then directs everything else in their lives. And we talked a little bit about the idea of gospel-centeredness, that the gospel forms the, the way in which we view every aspect of our lives. And so particularly, Paul is praying for growth in 
knowledge. He's praying particularly for practical knowledge, that this knowledge of his will is knowledge that is applied in a very practical way, not just having sort of the, um, the erudite or, the, or the, 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 the concepts in our brains, but taking those concepts and applying them to everyday life. And that practical knowledge requires us to be filled with that knowledge, that it's not just we have um, sort of a, a, an interest in or we have... Um, even to some extent like a, a, a hobby of God's Word. I think sometimes Christians sort of treat their study of God's Word as sort of a part of a hobby, but rather it is to be the thing that fills us. It is to be the thing that we focus on at all times. And so as we grow in knowledge, it's practical knowledge that we're filled with this knowledge, and then Paul is going to focus more particularly as we look at the end of verse 9, that we have this knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And that's that phrase that in particular that are going, it's going to occupy our thoughts this evening. Filled with, all, with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So one of the things that we see is the type of knowledge that we're to be filled with. And it is, as Paul says here, to be spiritual and really what he's calling us to is dependence on the Holy Spirit in our quest to know or grow in knowledge. It is not just some sort of, of, of collection of truths or principles from God's word that we're called to know, but rather we're called to have knowledge of, that is spiritual in nature. Now, we could look at that and say, well, maybe Paul is talking about the idea of the immaterial part of man, knowledge of the sort of spiritual realm of things. But I don't really think that's what he's focusing on here. In fact, I think it would be better to translate that we're filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and understanding by or through the Spirit, or more particular, by the means of the Spirit. That Paul is focusing us on the very necessity of being guided into knowledge through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. In fact, throughout the Old Testament, and we're going to look at some of this as we go through looking at this focus on the Spirit this evening, there is an idea, concept, that in the last age, so remember in the Old Testament, God is working with Israel, God is working in His plan out according to His sovereign purposes with that nation, and then He gives promises that in the in time, or the eschatological age, the final age, there would be a sense in which the Spirit of God would be guiding and directing full knowledge among all God's people. Now, we have to recognize if, if the Spirit is the key to understanding or having ourselves be filled with this knowledge, where is the Spirit going to point us to find this knowledge? Where is he going to, what is He going to use? The Word of God. And we find that in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 5 through 6. So this is nothing new from the perspective of what's in Scripture. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me. This is Moses talking to Israel. That you should do them in the land that you're entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them. For that, all right, the law, particularly keeping it and doing it, that is going to be, and notice the two words he uses here, wisdom and understanding. 
And in fact, it's the same words that we see here in Colossians chapter 1, that we are filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And so Moses is focusing on the fact that this is going to set Israel apart from all the other peoples. He says, in the sight of all the peoples who, when they hear all these statutes, they will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What is it that sets them apart? It is their acceptance of living by ordering their lives according to the word of God. That if we're to find wisdom and if we're to have understanding, we must find it from God's word. Of course, we see this reiterated in the New Testament. All scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And here, Paul doesn't use those two words, wisdom and understanding, but rather he describes them. That, that understanding is the teaching. That wisdom is applying what we understand. Reproof, correction, training in righteousness. So, again, I think it's important that we recognize as Christians, if we're going to grow in knowledge... We have to grow in that knowledge by the means of God's word. Now, this is, this is sort of, you know, elementary Sunday school, you know, type of truths. But yet what I find is that oftentimes as we go about our lives, we become very busy. Things crowd into our time. We, we find ourselves um, struggling as Christians. And oftentimes that struggle is because we're neglecting the word of God. We're not able to have wisdom or the application of our understanding of God's word because we're not looking to it. And so at the outset, we have to understand that the means by which we come to be filled with knowledge, to have the spiritual wisdom and understanding, it must come through the word. And then as we come to God's word, we must come fully dependent on his Holy Spirit. Again, I mentioned in the Old Testament, there were promises made of a time when God's people would have this type of wisdom and understanding. That they wouldn't need to go to the priests at the tabernacle or the temple. They wouldn't need to have rabbis in one sense or Pharisees teaching them these things, but that it would be something that they themselves could pursue. Now, how is that possible? How is it possible for all of God's people to know and to have spiritual wisdom and understanding? And the answer is, we have to have the Holy Spirit. And this is the promise of the new covenant, Ezekiel 36, 27. I will put my, what? Spirit. And where is the Spirit placed? Within you. And what He's going to do is He's going to point you back not just to know his statutes, but to do what with those statutes? To walk in them. To be careful to obey all his rules. It is the Spirit that produces this understanding and application of God's law. This is something that the prophet Joel prophesied about. It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. What is the result of the pouring out of the Spirit on all flesh? Well, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my Spirit. So if we're going to 
come and, and hear what Paul is praying. You know, I want you to be filled with spiritual with knowledge. I want it to happen with spiritual wisdom and understanding. We have to recognize that there is no other means by which this can be accomplished except by the work of the Spirit within us. We are completely dependent on God's Holy Spirit to know and understand what He's given us. Jesus told His disciples this. In John 14, 26, He says, Look, I'm going away, but listen, I'm going to send the Helper. And this Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, what is He going to do? He's going to teach you. We're going to look at these two words that are given here for um, understanding and wisdom. But that, that understanding aspect is involved in the teaching idea. He's going to bring, bring to remembrance everything that Jesus has said. Now, when did this happen? When did God pour out His Spirit on all of His people? When did this happen? Pentecost. Acts chapter 2. Peter is standing with the eleven and they're, they're talking in tongues, they're speaking, they're prophesying. And, of course, people are seeing this sort of strange activity, and they think, man, these, these guys must have been hitting the sauce really early on in the day. And Peter stands up and says, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let it be known to you, and give ear to my word. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And then he goes on to quote what we already read in Joel. I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. This is the coming of the Spirit, not just to give power to the church as they share the gospel, but more particularly in what Paul is focusing on in Colossians is that the Spirit is given to produce transformation in God's own people, to change them so that they would be filled with this spiritual wisdom and understanding. So, Paul speaks of how this works in the church at Corinth. He comes to them in weakness, in fear, and much trembling. Now, when you think of the Apostle Paul, we think of him as one of the heroes of the faith, right? A man who was strong and, 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 uh, and, and certain in the things that he preached. And that certainly is the case. But notice his attitude towards what he did. He came with weakness. He came with much trembling. His speech and his message were not in plausible words of, and this is what's interesting here, wisdom. He didn't come with man's ideas, but rather, as he preached the word to those in Corinth, it came through the demonstration of what? The Spirit, who gave power. And it, this happens so that our faith doesn't rest in men, or particularly the wisdom of men, but where, rather, where does our faith rest for transformation through the gospel? In the power of God. And so he goes on to tell them that he has not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that what would, it be, what would be accomplished within those believers? That they would understand the things freely given to us by God. This comes through not, not by human wisdom, but being taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths with 
spiritual with those that are spiritual. The spirit is the spirit who goes beyond our natural efforts, our natural um, uh, intellects and the natural operations of our minds. And he provides hope for us in the truths that we would not otherwise know. It is the spirit who gives freedom. So that when we have the spirit where he is, there is that freedom. And Paul, particularly here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, is talking about how when one reads the word of God, which particularly was the Old Testament, the veil is removed and they're now able to freely see what God has given. So when Paul is praying here <clears throat> that, he, that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and understanding by the means of the spirit, what should that do for us? He's telling us, he's praying that spirit-dependent, spirit-filled, spirit-generated realities would take root in the lives of the believers in Colossae. He prays that the spirit would be the one who guides and directs them into wisdom and understanding. He's saying, that's my prayer, that the spirit would work within you. So what do we take away from that? What should we do when we're coming to God's word, when we're wanting to grow in knowledge? What should we do? Pray, ask that the Spirit would work within us as well. And that begins by recognizing that we're not going to go to the world or the world's ideas to find wisdom in this life. In 1 Corinthians 1.20, Paul says, look, where's the one who's wise? Where's, where's wisdom? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made Foolish, the wisdom of the world. Now, it's pretty plain as day is what Paul is telling us. Should we be going after the wisdom of the world? No. Yet, I think that that's one of the things we struggle with the most as Christians, particularly in our society. We are bombarded with the wisdom of the world. In the media we consume, in, in social networks that we're a part of. We are bombarded with the wisdom of the world. Paul is not praying that we who have tasted of the goodness of the Lord, who have had the gospel take root in us, he's not praying that we would be filled with the knowledge of worldly wisdom and understanding. Yet so often that's what Christians go after. Because we want to fit in. We want to be like the world around us. We want to be accepted. What does God do with the wisdom of this world? The wisdom of this world is folly with God. He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are what? Futile, empty, useless. I mean, I could go back and, and one, of the, one of the reasons why I think it's important to study history is you get to see this on display over and over and over again, particularly when you, un when you study the history of philosophy. Because the history of philosophy is nothing but a long, drawn-out uh, story of this principle. You have all sorts of different ideas that mankind has come up to answer the big questions of life. Why am I here? What's my purpose? How am I supposed to relate to other people? Of course, ethics are connected with that philosophy. 
And if we seek to be filled with, with worldly wisdom and understanding, we're going to continue to repeat the mistakes uh, that we've seen, seen throughout history. Are we, is our world any better from a satisfaction and answering those type of questions perspective now than it was in the medieval age where there was all sorts of darkness and, and, and wrong philosophical thinking? I mean, today, philosophy says that mankind is independent, that everything is subjective, that we have to live and let live, and there's pluralism and all these different types of things. That's the world philosophy today, and it is useless. It doesn't give any hope. So if we are to be doing what Paul is praying for us, we must... Pray for the Spirit. We must seek the Spirit, rejecting the world's wisdom, and then praying. Praying as Paul prays here, that we that we would be filled with the knowledge of His will through with all wisdom and understanding by the means of the Holy Spirit. As we pray for the Spirit to work within us, that will then produce a passion for the Spirit. So that as the Spirit meets those deepest needs of our hearts, we find ourselves running back to him. And there's this cycle of desire and satisfaction in what the spirit brings, which then yields a transformed life. As Galatians, Paul says in Galatians, if we live by the spirit, notice what he means by that. What does it mean to live by the spirit? It means that your life is dependent on the spirit. If you live by the spirit, then what will be the next effect? We will keep in step with the Spirit. Notice where this is quoted from, Galatians 5. What, does anyone else know what's in Galatians 5? The fruit of the Spirit. That if we're keeping in step with the Spirit, these things are going to be evident in our lives. So what, do, what does that now look like? He's talking about spiritual or spirit-born wisdom and understanding. And that's where we see, finally, as we see our focus on growth and knowledge, it is complete integration of the truth of the gospel into every area of our life. Complete integration. The spirit-dependent attitude that Paul is praying for here should produce within us a complete excuse me, integration of God's way into our lives. The will of God, knowing his will, which is what Paul is praying for, is how does God want us to live? What does God want from us? What is God's will for us? How do we know that? And it comes with dependence upon the Spirit who now enables us to have understanding and wisdom. Now, there are two Greek terms that Paul uses here. And I think it's important we sort of we talk about them for a second. And one is necessary before the other can come. And it's in the reverse order of the way that it's given here in the text. Uh, one of the things about the Greek language is that word order doesn't matter. Rather, the focus of what he's saying there. So we're going to start with that second one there at the end of verse 9. Understanding. This is the Greek word sunesis. Um, This is the idea of having intelligence in a particular area, acute knowledge, or full comprehension. So for for us to understand the will of God, we have to have understanding or 
comprehensive knowledge. We need, in one sense, to be experts in what God has revealed to us. The term comes from the idea or a root, which means to bring things together. It's sort of like a puzzle. All right? A puzzle is cohesive when all the different parts are put together and fit so that we can see what the picture is. Right? That's the purpose of a puzzle, uh, so that we can know or we can put together what the picture is supposed to be like. And we use this today. And we'll use this type of idea when you're talking to somebody and you say that they finally understand something. They have that aha moment. Like, you know, people that still say ham is not the most delicious fruit of the pig that's out there. They have that aha moment. And, you, and I would say to them, oh, you finally put it all what? Together. That's the idea of sunesis. Refers to the concept of understanding. Now listen, how do we put together all the truths of God's word? Dependence on the Holy Spirit. Particularly when we understand that apart from the Spirit, apart from God's grace, we do not understand. In fact, apart from God's grace, who understands? No one. You know the word that for understand here? Guess what it is? Synesis. There is no one who's righteous. No, not one. There's no one who has senesis. There's no one who understands. Nobody left to themselves will put the pieces of the puzzle together. Nobody gets it. Nobody puts it all together. But Jesus is the one who opens our minds to know these things. In Luke 24, 44 through 45, as he's talking with his disciples, he says, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law and the prophets must be fulfilled. And then what does he do? He opens their minds so that they can have what? Understanding or sunesis. It, 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 there's, I would have loved to have been there to see the expressions on the faces of the disciples as all of a sudden they who knew all these Old Testament prophecies, now suddenly the light bulb comes on and all the mysteries of Christ in the Old Testament are revealed to them. The puzzle comes into, into place and is put together and the image comes into focus. And the great wonder of what Paul is praying for is that the Spirit would do that for every believer. That we all would be able to progressively understand God's will as we put the pieces together as His Spirit works within us. This is why we have this complete integration. So that all of God's truth comes to be understood in our mind. But then there's a second word he uses here. So there's sunesis, but he also asked that we would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom. Now, who knows what the Greek word for wisdom is? Sophia. So we've got sunesis and Sophia. And I feel like there should be a kid's cartoon with those two characters in there, right? Like a, like a Veggie Tales, but better or whatever. I don't know. Huh? Two sisters? Two sisters. That will work. Although... 
if you were, if, which would you rather be named, Sophia or Sunesis? I, I don't know. I digress. What is Sophia? Well, Sophia, it refers to the application of Sunesis. It refers to applying the understanding into everyday life. That's what wisdom is. It's not just putting our knowledge into action, but it is the proper application of our knowledge. It's knowing the truth and then knowing how to use it. So here's an example. I got up early one morning and we had had a kitchen faucet. Well, we only have one kitchen, so our kitchen faucet. Um, when my parents got here for Christmas, we noticed that when you turned it on, water would come out of the faucet, but water would also come out at the base of the faucet and then go in and it's like, this is not a good thing. So I've replaced... Many, I mean many, I don't know, three or four. I've replaced a kitchen faucet in my day. I know what to do. I have knowledge or, or sunesis of what's required to do that. So I, I get down there and I, I look and I see, okay, well, there's no shutoff valves for that, so I actually have to turn the water off to the entire house. So that's a little annoying, but it's early and hopefully it shouldn't disturb anybody. And I get down in there, I, I you know, pull off the, the lines and I know what to do. And then I get up in there and I've got these big, plastic nuts that have to be unscrewed so that I can loosen the faucet and take it out. And I'm turning, and I'm twisting, and I'm grunting, because of course grunting gives more power to a man when he's working in the kitchen. And I'm doing all this stuff, and it is just not budging. And now it's starting to get later, I've got things I've got to do in the day, so I'm like, okay, I've got to go put this back together. So I take the, the line and, and I, I put it in and, and I go to, it has a little nut on it to tighten it into the compression fitting. And as I do that, I hear snap and the line going to the faucet broke. And then I go really loud, no, because the line slid into the faucet, into the, the supply line. And now I can't even get it out. Now I know what the problem is. I know what's happened here, but now it has reached a place where I don't have the wisdom how to fix this anymore. So what do I have to do? Well, first of all, I have to go tell my wife that the water is off in the house until I'm able to cap those lines. And then I get them capped, and then I get the you know, phone call and call up the plumber. And many dollars later, we now have a new kitchen faucet. Now, what was the difference between myself and the plumber? We both had knowledge of what needed to be done, but he had, was able to properly apply, to properly apply that knowledge wisely to fix the issue. How do we as believers properly apply the understanding we have of God's word? Well, it first has to recognize again that we must depend on the spirit. Listen, where does wisdom come from? God. Job says this. Where then does wisdom come from? Where is its place of understanding? It's hidden from the eyes of all the living, concealed from the birds of the air. Abaddon and death say we have a, heard a rumor of it with our ears. Who has wisdom? God understands the way to wisdom. He knows its place. Who was the wisest of Israel's kings? Solomon. Solomon was the wisest of 
Israel's kings. Now, why was Solomon wise? He asked for it. 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 11 through 12, God said to him, because you have asked this, what is the this? That he would have the ability to apply knowledge, which is a definition of wisdom. Because you've asked for this, and you didn't ask for long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but you've asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I, the Lord, give you what? Wisdom, a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has ever been before and none like you shall arise after you. I mean, James speaks of this, the wisdom from where? Above. So if we're going to have understanding, look, that's great. But it doesn't really make any difference unless we know how to wisely integrate it into our lives and the things that we do. Now, why did Paul write the book of Colossians? Have you ever asked yourself that question? In fact, that's a good question to ask any New Testament book. Why is it written? What's the purpose? Why is Paul writing to them? And there could be a number of different reasons I think that are legitimate. He wants to encourage them in their faith. They're, they've never met him. But as is often the case in the New Testament epistles, they're writing particularly to counter what? Error. So what's the error that Paul is dealing with here? Well, if you turn over to Colossians chapter 2, or you want to look up on the screen, notice what Paul is saying. He says, look, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? And here's so it perhaps had been some of the sayings going on in Colossae. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used. According to, and then here's the key. Where's the source of false teaching? Human precepts and teaching. And then he says this. They indeed, they have indeed an appearance of Sophia. Here's the thing about false teachers. Do you think a false teacher is going to come out and say, I'm a false teacher? No. They seem like they're right. They, would, they may be the people who, who garner respect from the community. They may be people that are in positions of power within the church. But yet it is their teaching and the source of that teaching. Does it find its root in the word of God or is it through human precepts and teaching? They may have the appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of, and then here's the key, they're of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. How can you tell if a teaching is wrong? It doesn't properly apply truth to bring change. Now, in this particular instance, there was legalism that was involved. Don't, you have to follow what we think is he's referring to here is, is Judaizers. 
You have to follow the law. You have to not touch or taste or handle all these restrictions of the Old Testament law. And, and what they're saying is if you're not doing that, then obviously you're not right with God. That was the teaching at that time. But the reality was as long as you kept the law in this certain way, you could go out and still indulge in sinful actions of the flesh. As long as you had this list okay, what God's list was in His Word, eh, it's not a big deal. It's Pharisaism all over again. And so what Paul is saying at the very beginning, at the outset of this passage, of this book, is look, I'm praying that the Spirit would would guide you so that you would have that senesis, that understanding, and that then you would take what you understand and it would transform your life so that you wisely walk through this world. As he says earlier on in Colossians chapter 2, listen, that your hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. And then here's the key, which is what? Christ. In whom are hidden all the treasures of what? Wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. You see what Paul is bringing them back to understand. What is the key to understanding and being transformed by the gospel, looking to the Christ of the gospel. Finding in him that work of transformative grace. Because after all, Isaiah spoke of Christ, that the spirit of the Lord would rest upon him. And what would that spirit provide in Christ? A spirit of what? Wisdom and understanding knowing the truth, and then applying the truth in our lives. That's, that's the Christian life. That's what Paul is praying for here. He's praying that the Spirit would be the one that comes within us and opens up the Word, and that He would guide us, and then that we would make wise choices in the way that we live as we have a transformed life before the world around us. May we be praying, as Paul is praying, that these things would be true in our own hearts. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that your spirit is the one who guides and directs us in these things. May we seek to be more and more convinced by your spirit of these truths and may we seek to reject the world's wisdom which is folly which is useless which is vanity and father may we apply wisdom rightly may we be transformed father may we not be like the lives of the false teachers that seem to have wisdom but don't forbid, don't wage war against our flesh. Father, may we, by your spirit, be transformed by your grace as we look to Christ, who is our wisdom and understanding. We pray all this in his name, pleading his blood. Amen.
Thanks so much for joining us online. Thanks for joining us here in person. Have a great week.